The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. Welcome, you're listening to Radio Maria. This is Credo, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. Uh, my name is Tim Hutchinson, and today I have Sister Carino, who's going to be starting a brand new series for us, a new catechetical series on Radio Maria. So a very warm welcome to you, Sister Carino. Thank you very much, Tim. Lovely to be here. And uh, we usually have you on our Questions of Faith program, which is always great fun. I think mm-hmm. last time we had a, a, a particularly great time. I enjoyed it very yeah. much myself. Um, and uh, but now we've we have uh, asked you to do some to expand um, your reach on the Radio Maria platform. And uh, move into some some more sort of focused teaching, without the um, the constant pestering of of questions <laughs> that stream in during those programs, um, which we love. We do indeed. So, w- why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, about the series that, that you're going to be starting this time okay. every week? Yep. So yes, as as Tim has said, this is the first time I have spoken on Radio Maria without without the prompting of your questions. Um, but as, as any of my sisters will tell you, um, I don't usually need any particular prompt or impetus to talk for a long time. And so I should be fine. Um, but what I'm going to be talking about over the next uh, three weeks is spiritual motherhood, which is a topic that used to baffle me and now very much interests me. Um, I've always sort of had a dog in the fight, as it were, because I am I am a consecrated religious sister. And so I am I am one of those people in the church who quite often gets described as a spiritual mother and is expected to think of herself as a spiritual mother. Um, and being a little bit pedantic, I'd always wondered exactly what that means. And so over the next three weeks, hopefully I'm going to be sharing some thoughts from the scriptures, from the tradition of the church, and sort of from my own experience as, as a consecrated religious, as to what it means to be a spiritual mother. That's wonderful. Yes, very much looking forward to it. Um, is it is it okay to say that I'd be able to take things away from this that that uh, would be relevant to me as a a male Catholic? I th- I think you can, Tim. I will permit you to do that. All right. So I think that should go for the other males who are thinking the same thing, listening to this particular um, program of Credo, yes, which all, nourishes all you welcome. and your faith. Sorry, you were saying? No, I was I was just agreeing with you. Yes. Okay. Yes. All are, all are welcome to listen and to take insights away from this. Very good. Well, 
I'm going to let you begin. And at some point, we're going to listen to a little bit of music, but that will be in, in a few minutes time. But let's, let's let you get, get going. Okay. Marvellous. So I'd like to begin just by reading a passage from the scriptures, from the word of God. So we can settle ourselves in the presence of God, knowing that he speaks to us through this word in all times and in all places. We can open ourselves to his inspiration as we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And this is a reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 66. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be delivered in one moment? Yet as soon as Zion was in labour, she delivered her children. Shall I open the womb and not deliver, says the Lord? Shall I, the one who delivers, shut the womb, says your God? So the day that I made my final profession as a Dominican sister of St. Joseph, vowing obedience to my superior and her successors in the Dominican order until death, I could not help but notice that the people who had come to witness my profession all had very similar things to say about it afterwards. They were married people, young single people, diocesan priests, in short, people who didn't have a huge amount of experience of witnessing the professions of consecrated religious. But they all said very similar things to me. What they said to me was this. First, they would say, that was amazing, Sister Carino. That was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And then they would say, it was like a wedding, wasn't it? It was like nothing I'd ever seen. It was like a wedding. Now, I found this quite funny. So I related this to the priest who celebrated the mass of my profession. Um, a priest who incidentally will be a familiar voice to Radio Maria listeners. And in response, he told me that actually his brother had said something very similar to their friends when trying to explain this priest's own religious profession. His brother had said, imagine a wedding. Okay. Well, it's nothing like that. It is like, it is not like. This might seem like a kind of nonsensical and ridiculous way to talk about the religious life, painting it as something incomprehensibly topsy-turvy and back to front, the kind of thing you'd find in a Lewis Carroll story or a poem by Edward Lear. But I would like to suggest to you that, in fact, these kind of statements aren't barriers to a sensible, mature understanding of the religious life and its different aspects. Instead, they are our entry point into such an understanding. They reveal to us the fundamentals of how faithful Catholics instinctively perceive the consecrated religious life, and also how the church in her official magisterial teaching wishes us to perceive it. And so this idea of it is like, it is not like, is going to guide us as we think together about spiritual motherhood. Because the religious life is something that's both wholly different from anything in our natural experience of human life and human relationships, and at the same time, something that's somehow congruent with these things. And this combination of similarity and dissimilarity, 
it is like, it is not like, provides us with a pattern for how to grasp the essence of the religious life and to grasp how it relates to the life of Christ himself and the life of his church, which is his body. And we can apply it to various different aspects of the consecrated religious person's identity. And in particular, we can apply it to various different aspects of consecrated religious women's identity. For instance, how many of us have heard religious women described as brides of Christ, even though these are women who are not married, so totally unlike being brides? How many of us have heard religious women described as spiritual mothers, even though they are childless, so totally unlike being mothers? Now, as I've said, this, this latter description of consecrated women, spiritual mothers, is what we're going to be thinking about together over the next three weeks. We're going to be thinking, what does spiritual mother actually mean? And where does this term come from? What does being a spiritual mother actually involve? What does one do on a day-to-day -day basis as a spiritual mother? Can only consecrated women be spiritual mothers? Or are there other spiritual mothers out there? Are you one of them? So these are the kind of questions we're going to be exploring together. And this is how I'm going to go about it. So this week, in this first talk, we'll be looking at motherhood in the scriptures and in the tradition of the church. And what we'll see is that motherhood in the scriptures and in tradition is a term that is applied primarily not to any one individual human woman, but in fact, to Israel, the chosen people of God, and the church, which is the completion and fulfillment of Israel's calling. So having established from scripture and tradition that the church herself is a spiritual mother, in fact, the spiritual mother, next week we'll be looking at the spiritual motherhood of Our Lady Mary, who is both the image of the church and also the model of all the consecrated religious life. So Mary will be like our bridge between the spiritual motherhood of the church and the spiritual motherhood of each individual religious woman. Then finally, having looked at both the spiritual motherhood of the church and the spiritual motherhood of Our Lady Mary, in the third and final talk in this series, we will apply all of this to spiritual motherhood in the consecrated religious life, the kind of life that I am leading as a consecrated religious. And by that point in our exploration, it should be clear that the way to understand my spiritual motherhood as a consecrated religious is not to look first and foremost to the natural motherhood of my married friends and compare it to that. Instead, the way to understand all forms of human motherhood, both the spiritual motherhood of the nun or sister and also the natural motherhood of the married woman, is to look first and foremost to the motherhood of the church. That's where we gain our understanding of Christian motherhood in all its forms. Because whether we are nuns or sisters, or married women, or married people, our vocation is ecclesial. It comes from the church, from the grace of God poured out upon us through the church and her ministry. And then in all of this exploration, we're going to bear in mind 
the principle that I learnt from the people who came to my final profession, who made those comments afterwards that seemed a little silly to me on the face of it, but are actually very profound and a very good guide for us. That idea that religious life is simultaneously like what we know and also not like what we know. I don't know if you like, I can talk for a little bit longer, but this seems like a kind of a natural point before I go on to talk about the scriptures specifically mm. for some music. What do you think? We like natural points, yes. And we can also leave our listeners on, on a bit of a cliffhanger now that you've told oh. them what you're about to, mm. to talk to them about afterwards. So I've chosen a piece by Edward Fawcett, who happens to be coming on Radio Maria tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. 10 a.m., really? sorry to talk about his music and he's singing with his sister Hermione Thomas and it's called Holy Mother. Thank you. 
You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. And uh, Sister Karina is speaking to us about spiritual motherhood, and uh, we're going to be looking at the scriptures now. We are indeed. So first, I just wanted to say that the song that we were listening to, A, is lovely. B, um, it reminded me that I'd had a bit of a dilemma putting these talks together, in that because I'm a Dominican, and also just because of my personality, um, I like to have quite a sort of a specific set structure for doing things. I liked the idea of moving very systematically from the motherhood of, of the church to the motherhood of Our Lady Mary to individual religious women's spiritual motherhood. But unfortunately, our our Catholic faith made this very difficult for me um, because the... the uh, the maternity of the church and the maternity of Mary are so intertwined that mm. it was it was quite difficult to, to separate them out. And it's, it's the kind of distinction that, um, as my godfather likes to say, you can make this distinction with an axe, but not with a surgical knife. So, you know, I've done a sort of a, a brutal chop separating the motherhood of the church and the motherhood of Our Lady, um, but it's a little bit artificial. Um, and I was just reminded of this because that was a really beautiful song. Um, but it's about you know the motherhood of our lady and uh the two concepts the motherhood of the church and the motherhood of our lady are quite difficult to separate out and i've managed to do so but it is a little bit artificial um so those of you wondering why haven't you talked about our lady yet it's coming next week it's okay <laughs> cliffhanger <laughs> exactly exactly cliffhanger so we're going to turn now to the scriptures for what we can discover about motherhood from them, and specifically about spiritual motherhood. Now, I'm going to show my working. Um, we always begin with the scriptures when we do theology, because as the Second Vatican Council teaches us, the study of the scriptures is the soul of theology. In other words, the study of scripture is what makes our theology something living and intelligible. Um, that's from the Second Vatican Council's constitution, Dei Verbum which is the one on divine revelation. Now, as we look through the scriptures, we're also going to bear in mind another teaching of Dei Verbum. And that teaching is that God communicates not only through words, but also through deeds. So we read in Dei Verbum that God's plan of revelation is realized by deeds and words having an inner unity. The words proclaim the deeds and clarify the mystery contained in them. And so when we look for motherhood in the scriptures, we are looking not only for the word mother, but also for deeds of motherhood, women bearing children, raising children, acting in maternal ways. I think this is very important to remember because, of course, um, the fullness of God's revelation is, is not a text, it's a person, Jesus. And so in him, we see that unity of deeds and words in his person. And so it reminds us also that looking through the scriptures, going deeper into the scriptures, isn't a proof texting exercise. It's not a control F exercise where we're just looking for specific words. It's also actually looking more deeply at what's going on, at the deeds and the actions that are happening, rather than just doing a search on on Bible Gateway, for instance, um, for for particular words, which is something that I am I am quite prone to do. 
So the first thing that strikes us is that the words and deeds of motherhood in the scriptures are not all clustered together in one single part of the scriptures. Instead, mothers and motherhood are spread across the whole of the written word of God in every stage of salvation history. Now, those of you who are into, say, the theology of the body, who are into covenant theology, those of you who like reading people like Scott Hahn, you'll be familiar with the idea that the theme of the marriage covenant runs throughout the whole of scripture. And it helps us to understand the covenant that God makes with humanity through Israel, and then ultimately, finally, and definitively in the person of his son, Jesus, the new covenant in his blood. And by covenant here, we mean essentially the making of a kinship bond, a promise um, of the type that we understand as human beings, primarily in terms of marriage. And so in the scriptures, we're given this marriage language to help us to understand that unbreakable kinship bond, that covenant that God makes with us in his plan of salvation. And in fact, scripture begins and ends with marriage. This is something that Scott Hahn has said that also other theologians like, like Tom Wright have pointed out. It starts with, at one bookend, the, the proto-marriage of Adam and Eve at the beginning in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And it ends with the heavenly wedding feast of the Lamb in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So scripture begins and ends with marriage. But I'd like to suggest that we can also talk of scripture beginning and ending with motherhood. Eve, the first woman, is described in Genesis chapter 2 as the mother of all the living. And in fact, this is why she receives the name Eve, because it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for living, which is Hava, if I remember correctly. And then in Revelation chapter 12, so at the end of the Bible, we read, a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. And then later we read, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a scepter of iron. So the creation narrative introduces us to Eve at the very beginning of salvation history. Eve, the mother of all the living. And then at the end of the Bible in St. John's eschatological vision, and by eschatological, I mean it relates to heaven, hell, judgment, etc. He introduces us to the woman clothed in the sun in the throes of her birth pangs. So two mothers bookending the two ends of scripture. And notice that in both cases, their motherhood has implications for the whole of humanity, the whole of the human race. In fact, for the whole of reality itself. Eve is the mother of all the living. And the woman clothed in the sun is the mother of a child who is to rule all the nations. So we see that sacred scripture, the story of God's covenant love for humanity, begins and ends not only with weddings, but also with mothers. Mothers, moreover, whose vocation is of significance for the whole human race. So, what happens in between? Because you've told us, Sister Karina, that there are mothers spread throughout the whole of salvation history. So, between Genesis and Revelation, what other sort of mothers do we meet of equal significance to Eve and the woman clothed in the sun? 
Well, the first thing that strikes us is that although there are many, many mothers in scripture, you know, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, and so on, the role of the universal mother, given first to Eve, and eventually taken up by the woman clothed in the sun, passes not to another human woman, but instead to the whole nation of Israel. And in particular, it is given to Israel under its name, Zion. Now, Zion in antiquity is the name of a specific place. It's a hill in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, sort of near the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives and other such mounts. But within the Hebrew scriptures, the name Zion also becomes a way of referring to the whole of the nation of Israel, and particularly so in the books of the prophets. So the prophets, when they are admonishing Israel, asking her, calling upon her to come back to the Lord, back to her vocation, to fulfill that role that God has ordained for her in the history of humanity, the prophets will often address the nation of Israel simply as Zion. And what's very interesting is that Zion is often personified as a woman, as one single woman, and in particular, a woman who is the bride of the Lord himself. Now, what this tells us is that motherhood language in the scriptures doesn't just spring from nowhere. It comes from feminine language and bridal language. Before Zion is a mother, she is a woman and a wife. Now, Pope Benedict XVI, back when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, he talked of this kind of motherhood language as a tradition which has its roots far back into the Old Testament, where Israel sees itself as the bride whom God wishes to take into his confidence, to make his own, and to unite to himself in eternal love. So this is the context in which Zion, the nation of Israel, is referred to as mother. It's the context of Zion being referred to as a woman, as an entity with a feminine identity, who is also a spouse, who is a wife. That's where this language comes from. Let's take some specific examples now from the Old Testament. So in Ezra chapter 10, we read that Zion is the mother of us all. That should be quite familiar. Psalm 87 proclaims that Zion shall be called mother, for all shall be her children. And then we have the prophet Isaiah, who was an excellent example, I think, of that inner unity of deeds and words in the plan of salvation, which uh, Dave Verbum talked about that we mentioned at the beginning of this talk. Now, Isaiah doesn't mention the word mother particularly often, but there are an awful lot of sons and daughters in the book of Isaiah, and there's an awful lot of giving birth as well. So here is Isaiah chapter 60. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried in their nurses' arms. So we've got this idea that we can talk about the, the gathering together of all the scattered people of Israel as being basically like a family reunion, the sons and daughters of Zion, so the people of Israel, are all gathering together, are all coming together. Then we've got Isaiah 66, which is the passage with which we began our talk. Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be delivered in one moment? 
Yet as soon as Zion was in labour, she delivered her children. And what's interesting about all of these passages, I've, you know, I've sort of cut them a little. So we've just got the, the real focus of the motherhood language here. But Zion's motherhood is always linked to the action of the Lord. Her fruitfulness is linked to her fidelity to God. That's the, the foundation of, of her, this kind of spiritual fertility. It's her commitment to living out her vocation as the spouse of the Lord, as the one united to God in a covenant like a marriage covenant. And so we see that the motherhood of Eve, who births all the living, is taken up by the motherhood of Zion, Israel, who brings forth the people of God and gathers them together from all corners of the earth when they wander and stray. And this motherhood reaches its fulfillment in the mission of the woman clothed in the sun, who births a child whose rule is universal and divine, extending over all nations and people, both in this life and in the life to come. And this, this mixing together of motherhood language and a scatological language, and again, a scatological we mean to do with heaven, hell, the last things, this mixing together of motherhood language and a scatological language is also something we see, for instance, in the letters of St. Paul and the idea that the whole creation has been groaning in one act of giving birth. And what's interesting as well is that St. Paul, you know, coming from a Jewish background, obviously very familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, also picks up on motherhood language when he talks about the church and the ministry of the church. He sort of takes on a kind of maternal role in, in talking about the bringing to birth of the churches, of the life of faith in the various different local churches to which he is writing. So I think it's quite telling that um, one of the, the human sacred authors, St. Paul, of the New Testament, steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, um, goes quite naturally to maternity language, to motherhood language, when talking about the life of the people of God and also about the last things, about eschatology, about our vocation to heaven. So what we can take from all of this is that, in conclusion, the scriptures use the language of motherhood not primarily to talk about the natural motherhood of any particular human woman. Instead, they use the language of motherhood to expound the whole of salvation history. The, the motherhood of Eve reveals to us something about the creation of man. The motherhood of Zion reveals to us that God wishes to gather us together into one people of God. He wishes to gather fallen humanity into one people of God. And the motherhood of the woman clothed in the sun reveals that God wills the bringing of that new people of God into the life of heaven, to be united with God forever in perfect love. Through this maternal language, we understand that the covenant God makes with his chosen people, this marital covenant in which the divine bridegroom unites his bride, Zion, to himself, is a fruitful marriage. It is a fertile marriage. 
It is a marriage that brings new life. I've hit another natural pause. I, I got the feeling, yes, indeed. <laughs> it felt very natural. Let's um, go to a song by, um, that is sung by St. John's College. This is Hail, O Virgin Mary. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. And we're learning about spiritual motherhood um, with Sister Carino. Mm. And um, we shall now continue, shall we not? We shall. Um, also, what I've discovered doing this is that every time we pause for a music break, um, something occurs to me, which I then wish to say mm. when we come into the next um, chunk uh so i i then i weigh up is it worth saying and i usually decide that it is worth saying because you know usually with me there's there's a direct there's a direct sort of motorway between thinking something and then just saying it out loud i um, think that we should call them inspirational music um interludes 
And... I like that. Yes, let's call them that. That makes them sound terribly sort of exalted and pious. Excellent. My, my thought was that we can look at the individual mothers, the individual human mothers of scripture, particularly those of the Old Testament, um, which I had slightly dismissed, maybe. Maybe I was a bit too much of a sweeping generalization when I said, you know, motherhood language in the church is, is you know, on this, on this big salvation history level. I don't wish to dismiss, as it were, the experiences of the, the individual human women in scripture um, who conceive and bear children. But it's worth pointing out that all of these stories of natural motherhood in the scriptures have a significance in salvation history, which is also spiritual. Um, and this, this goes into really the heart of how we read scripture as Catholics. We talk of scripture as having a literal sense and spiritual senses. And the literal sense is literally what is happening. You know, the, the events which are set down in human words on the page in their historical context, in their cultural context. But we can use those events as a springboard for understanding something of God, something of the moral life, our life in Christ, and something of, of the church. And so any particular instance of, of natural human motherhood we can think of um, in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, will teach us something about the action of God and about our lives in, in the church today we can think in particular of um miraculous cures for infertility being brought about by the hand of god for those who are faithful to him as being a sign that you know the motherhood of, of the people of god the motherhood of zion and by extension the motherhood of the church is something that is wholly dependent on on divine action and it is to reveal his glory so you know that's one of the lessons we can take from the, the motherhood of, of individual women in the scriptures. So what, what we've kind of said so far is that the motherhood language in scripture is, is spread throughout salvation history, that it helps us to understand the covenant that God makes with humanity through the people of Israel, and that it applies in a very specific and significant way to that chosen people of Israel, personified as the woman Zion, the bride. And so, as I've just said, the, the individual women in scripture who are mothers can be sort of referred to, related to that ultimate spiritual meaning of motherhood in the scriptures. But now you are saying amongst yourselves in your homes, okay, Sister Karina, but, but what you promised us in this talk was something on spiritual motherhood in the life of the church. So how do we get from talking about Israel, about the people of God in the Old Testament, to talking about the church today? Well, luckily the catechism has us covered on that one. So in the first part of the catechism, on which is on the profession of faith, there's a section there talking about what it means to profess faith in the Holy Catholic Church, as we do every Sunday in Solemnity in the Creed. And the catechism tells us that the images used in scripture to describe the church have their roots in the Old Testament. They don't just spring from nowhere. And in fact, these images are a completion and fulfillment of the images used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. And that's the because, of course, that's what the church is. It is the completion and fulfillment of Israel, the chosen people of God. And so that Old Testament language of the sheep and the shepherd, of the vine, of the bridegroom and the bride, 
all of this is transferred over into the New Testament as a way to understand the church as the fulfillment of God's plan to gather all peoples to himself. And that includes, as the Catechism states very clearly, the language of motherhood. Zion is the bride of the Lord and mother of his chosen people, and therefore the church, too, is bride and mother. Now, I've been focusing so far on what we learn of motherhood from the written word of God, the scriptures. But of course, we need to remember that there is another means, another method by which God's revelation comes to us. And that is tradition, the teaching of the church preserved within the community of faith by the action of the Holy Spirit passed down from the apostles to the present day bishops. Tradition is a bit like a cocoon for scripture. It's the place where scripture grows and develops. And it's also the place that protects and preserves that scripture. And so in the tradition of the church, we see that the idea of the church as mother, which we find in scripture, growing and developing and being preserved. Now, when we think of the tradition of the church and where to find out about it, where to read it, our mind might go first to teaching documents, you know, the kind that you get on the Vatican website that are promulgated by Pope Francis and that are published by CTS. But actually, I think it's worth thinking about the fact that the tradition of the church isn't something we primarily read in documents. It's also something we see and hear and experience in the liturgy and in the sacraments. It's in the public prayer of the church and in its sacramental ministry that we see the church's tradition, non-written revelation, being preserved and lived out. And so it's the liturgy we turn to when we want to see and hear and experience the church acting as a mother, just as we read about in scripture. I'm going to start by looking at the Roman rite of baptism. What kind of mother actions, maternal actions, do we see there? Well, I'm going to do infant baptism. After the anointing with chrism, the celebrant says, God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has freed you from sin, given you a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit, and welcomed you into his holy people. And then after the praying of the Our Father, the celebrant says, dearly beloved, that's us, this child has been reborn in baptism. He is now called the child of God, for so indeed he or she is. And then in the final blessing as part of the baptism, the celebrant says, by God's gift, through water and the Holy Spirit, we are reborn to everlasting life. So just think of all those references to birth and rebirth and children that we get in the rite of baptism. And there are just as many references to rebirth, birth by water and the spirit, to children of God in the Byzantine rite of baptism too. Here in the sacraments, we see and hear and perceive the church truly acting as mother. By the power of God, she brings about new life, the Christian life of grace. She then continues to nurture and strengthen that life through the other sacraments of initiation, Eucharist and confirmation. She heals and cares for that life through the sacraments of healing, confirmation, sorry, confession and anointing. 
and she prepares that life for mission in the sacraments of service, so holy orders and matrimony. These are all maternal actions. So it is in the operation of the sacraments and our understanding of those sacraments as a church that we understand the church to be a mother and the liturgy of the church makes it very clear that this is the case. Now, running alongside this practice of the liturgy, which has been lived out and developed over the centuries, we also have the testimony of the church fathers, those bishops and teachers of the faith from the first few centuries of Christianity. We have what they said about the church and its motherhood, often in the context of them commenting on what happens in the sacraments and the liturgy. So the idea of the church as the mother of the living, so the successor to Eve and to Zion, is a big deal for the church fathers. And we understand this when we read their, what we call their mystagogical homilies. So these are homilies that are aimed at people who have received the sacraments of initiation. So they've received baptism and confirmation, first Eucharist at the Easter Vigil, and now they need an explanation of what just happened to them. That's what we mean by mystagogical, sort of explaining the grace that you've received in the sacraments after you've received it. And here I'm thinking particularly of St. Augustine, the fourth century Bishop of Hippo, Zeno, the fourth century Bishop of Verona. In their sort of mystagogical homilies, we see the church talked of as a mother, of baptism as a rebirth. The baptismal font talked about as a kind of womb in which the church births its new children. And I think the church father's belief in the church as mother is summed up really beautifully by St. Cyprian, who was the third century bishop of Carthage. And he refers to the church several times as a mother in his writings. Um, but perhaps most famously when he says, we cannot have God as our father when we do not have the church as mother. Now, this tradition of talking about the church as a mother, as the mother, continues into the medieval period. And apart from St. Thomas Aquinas, who I have to mention because I'm a Dominican, there's also a really beautiful sermon by a monk called Isaac of Stella, which we'll be looking at in a bit more detail next week, because it talks a lot about Our Lady, where he describes the church as both spouse and mother. And so, so we see this tradition continuing into the 12th century, this idea that the church is our mother because of her sacramental ministry, which she receives from the Lord. So spiritual motherhood in the church is first and foremost the spiritual motherhood of the church. The reason that I can talk about spiritual motherhood in the Christian life is because God's revelation brought to us through the twin methods, the twin means of scripture and tradition, has shown me that there is ultimately one spiritual mother, the church herself. That's the key idea that we can take from our exploration of motherhood in scripture and the tradition. And that's what's going to be guiding us as we go forward to think in the next two weeks about what it means for Our Lady to be a spiritual mother and for consecrated religious women to be spiritual mothers. Now, Remember that at the beginning of this talk, I talked about consecrated religious life being both like and not like what we are used to. It's both like and not like being married. 
it's both like and not like being a mother. These kind of it's like, it's not like comparisons can be incredibly helpful in making sense of our faith. But we need to always think deeply about what we're drawing the comparison with. Because some comparisons are more edifying and enlightening than others. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is that there's only so far we can go with our understanding of spiritual motherhood in the consecrated life if we're making our like and not like comparison with human marriage and natural motherhood. Instead, we can understand both states of life, so both, both consecrated life and married life, both spiritual motherhood and natural motherhood, if we compare both of these to the church as the preeminent bride and preeminent mother. So we can say that both spiritual motherhood and natural motherhood are like and not like that preeminent motherhood, the motherhood of the church. That's the best and most fruitful comparison to make in order to strengthen our faith and our understanding. In particular, I think it can help us understand exactly what we mean by the word spiritual. Because it's very easy to think of the word spiritual as simply meaning not physical or not biological. And I think this is very much the trap that I fell into when I was a, a younger religious sister earlier in my religious life. I thought about spiritual motherhood as being just motherhood that's not physical. So we might think, well, of course, consecrated women are spiritual mothers because they can't have children physically. So spiritual motherhood is merely the option that's left open to them when option one, physical motherhood, has been closed off. You know, spiritual motherhood is being nice and kind and caring to children when you don't have the opportunity to physically birth them. Now, I mean, it is the right thing to do to be nice and kind and caring to children. I am on board with that. But we can see that that's not like a full view of spiritual motherhood. We see that the problem with that belief is that it's making the like-not-like like comparison with natural motherhood rather than going up to making that like-not-like like comparison with the church's motherhood. We're assessing spiritual motherhood merely by how it compares to natural motherhood, rather than by comparing both of these forms of motherhood to the identity of our mother, the church. And what we see in the motherhood of the church is that this motherhood leads us into a direct encounter with God through rebirth in the grace of the sacraments. That's what spiritual means in this context. It's about our desire for God our capacity for God being fulfilled by God himself through the mediation of his church. That's the motherhood that we're comparing our spiritual motherhood as consecrated religious women to. Do we have any music at this point, Tim? Or do we want to have a little discussion about what I've just said? What do you want to do? Well, I, um, I kind of would like both, but we don't have much time. Um, no. So why don't we listen to a bit of um, Heaven's Flock, Heaven's Flock of Virgin Mother, um, Oh Virgin Mother, beg your pardon, by St. John's College Choir. And then I have one short question to ask you. Um, oh. So here it is.
you've been listening to I almost said questions of faith oh. you've been listening to Crater with me and Sister Carino um, and it's been a real pleasure we're going to have to end in a moment but um, the the like and unlike comparison that you are making um, is is that that's the analogical principle of oh, it is. language yes. uh-huh. yeah. I've read a few things look at that um, Yes, I thought so. Uh, great. I, I'm not going to ask you anything in depth because we don't really have time. I'd rather you end with a prayer and um, and I shall look forward to the next episode, which will have same time next week um, on mm-hmm. spiritual motherhood. So would you would you end with a prayer for us, please, Sister Queen? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace you have poured out upon us through the ministry of your church, which is the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in everything we do or say, we may be open to your inspirations and docile to your will, so that we may draw ever closer to you. Through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.